it's an uh, auspicious day, I think. It's a special day. Uh, I think uh, probably for most of us, Starting a day of practice like like this, uh, after having had three full days of practice, is a rare uh, occasion, a rare situation. We can probably count on the fingers of our one hand or two hands the number of times it happened. If there's more, probably you need to add your toes. <laughs> But uh, it's very rare that we sit for a fourth full day of uh, practice. So it's very precious because we've been investing uh, time and effort. There's a kind of a momentum building up that uh, is extremely uh, precious. And we don't know if it's going to happen again one day that there'll be a fourth day of uh, of. Uh, sitting, practicing like this. And maybe you think, I know. I can assure you it's the last time. <laughs> I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> Even that is just a thought. We might, you know, we might discover something later. You know, that, oh, I'm back here. <laughs> the year after. So, yeah, it's a very precious day, beautiful day. Today, Be uh, without wanting to read in Tara's mind, I think that uh, she will agree with me that we want to encourage you to um, take good care of the continuity, which is often what we call the secret of practice. The continuity, so the not giving up, the not abandoning. And so today, that would be for me one question, how can I practice in a non-forceful way, but without abandoning, not stop and go practice, but keep it going? What would it mean for me today? What are the possibilities around this? Including the moments of transition, when I go from one posture to the other, or from one activity to the other. Like, how can I... Uh, cultivate that moment-to-moment uh, -moment presence. It's kind of one of the, maybe one of the koans, one of the questions to answer in practice today. What is continuity? What could it be uh, for me today? You've heard probably uh, the Buddha uh, talk about this uh, in this way about wise effort, saying uh, something that to me uh, is really an instruction, very uh, beautiful, profound uh, instruction, something to yeah, explore what, the, what can this mean for me today. When he said, you wonder how I crossed the flood of afflictive emotions, of turmoil, of confusion, of consideration, projection, anticipation. How did I cross the flood without 
forcing I cross the flood. Without abandoning, without forcing, without abandoning I cross the flood. If I forced, I would get exhausted, be carried away. If I abandoned, I would be carried away too. Without forcing, without abandoning. What can it mean for us, each one of us today, not forcing, not abandoning? That is an interesting question. And on our journey of deconstruction of reality into its bits and pieces, um, one of the aspects, it's been there all along, but maybe we might have a particular interest for that little bit of reality, component of reality is one of the many components that create the magic show of I. One of the components is uh, thought. Thought. Something said, heard, seen in a very clear way or in a... What's the word? Foggy way or Something moving, or like a still picture, or a word, or a sentence that appears in the mind. So the study of a thought, uh, and also uh, for me, it um, highlights the study of thought. Well, like I could say this with any of the other components: uh, sensations, or emotions, or moods, or sight, smelling, tasting, hearing. Um, one of the aspects of deconstruction, we, what we kind of tear apart or make a discernment between this and that, is uh, the object, the event, and the relationship to it. So that's, in a way, you could talk about the whole of meditation like this. What is meditation? is a study of uh, events or phenomena, I use this synonymously, and the relationship to an event. So there's emotions, so things that we're going to study is, what's my relationship with an emotion? Am I kind of caught in it, under the spell of it, believing it? Uh, Or am I aware of it? Or am I hating it? What's the relationship? What's the wisest relationship possible with an emotion or with um, a sensation? Let's say pain is the sensation itself, but what's the relationship? becomes very, very central. I mean, the whole, maybe the whole of liberation hinges on that. So there's a sensation, what's my relationship to it? Do I hate it, fear it, project on it, and anticipate it's going to get worse? Uh, or can I become interested in it, in this sensation, the relationship to what's happening? So that's something that we're studying here, that's a deconstruction that we're doing. It's not just, ah, this 
fucking pain again. You know, it's okay. So there's pain and there's a fucking. <laughs> there's two different things. <laughs> there's the actual experience and the attitude, the relationship to it, and we're tearing these apart to find some liberation there, possibilities, you know? or there's this damn thing that happened in the past. Oh, so there's a memory and the relationship, how I'm holding something. This is the study we're doing here. That's part of what I call deconstructing. We're pulling apart the different pieces. And so here today, one of the invitation, it might be your field of study today because it's an invitation, but it might not be because you might be on something else that is at the foreground of your experience that needs attention. Or it's so interesting that you'll hear some of the things I say, but you'll put it aside and you'll be studying something else today. And thoughts might appear at some point and be recognized. And but still, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, thoughts, just a few moments, and we'll practice with it. Yeah, so the relationship to thought. See if it's true for you. Usually the relationship we have with thoughts is that we adhere. We either adore or adhere. <laughs> thoughts. Do you recognize this? Maybe there's a lot of attention, attention giving to thoughts, but not so much mindfulness of thoughts, of the appearance and disappearance of thoughts. We're caught by the content, enamored, fascinated, obsessed, uh, absorbed by. And here we're seeing, is there maybe a different relationship rapport possible with uh, the very, very natural process of thinking? Is there a different way to engage with thoughts instead of maybe believing thoughts? Starting to, um, yeah, bring some discernment. Go from delusion to discernment. The delusion with thought is to maybe believe that it's everything I think is factual. <laughs> you know, and starting to discover, oh, it's a kind of a suggestion, an interpretation conditioned way to view, to consider what is happening. It might just, it's an appearance. Oh, oh, that's a big one. Oh, to see a thought as an appearance, appearing, disappearing. Oh, it appears like this. That's one way that I work with thoughts. <laughs> you know, I have a thought, this is how it's going to end up, this is what's going to happen. Oh, it appears like this, Pascal, right now appears, appearance. So going from delusion, this is how it's going to turn out, to recognizing that there's a thought that appeared, suggesting something, envisioning something that might be true or not. So going from a deluded relationship to thought, either, you know, uh, making the difference between a reality and a thought, going from delusion to maybe wisdom, discernment. A thought is a thought. Maybe not much else. A classic uh, version of this, a teaching of this, uh, in this tradition that you might have heard, comes from Munindraji, 
a very revered teacher, would uh, apparently sometimes say, the thoughts of your mother are not your mother. Do you see the basic kind of discernment that we can gain in life? And you could replace mother. Poor. Why again mother? <laughs> Why again on her back? But we could replace this by the thoughts of your future are not your future. They're presently arisen imagery. Do you see the difference? How... I mean, it looks very basic when we say that, but maybe today we'll find out that we get caught a lot in that delusion. Very natural, we would. It's very convincing, very dramatic, very uh, creative and intelligent in a way. You know, create something, and we we get. Uh, so the thought of uh, the past might not be exactly the past, or might not be the past as it will be felt you know, five years down the line. You know. the, thoughts of, uh, the thoughts about yourself might not have a lot to do. <laughs> you know, might be a construction. Something that got conditioned, a view. And so here we are studying the rapport. How do I believe in thoughts and how can I recognize uh, the appearance and disappearance. It's uh, ephemeral nature. Something suddenly said or thought as one of the different components of a mood, an emotion. One that we often get, again, fascinated by. So an emotion is made of many things. And for many of us, often we'll be uh, fascinated by the thinking process of the emotion. You know, there's a mood, and everything the mood says will follow, will be fascinated by it. It's just one aspect, because there's, with an emotion, there's maybe physicality, heartbeat, sensation. So we're deconstructing emotions, and thoughts are one kind of a manifestation aspect of a mood, emotion. And so sometimes it's greed with thinking. Sometimes it's aversion. Sometimes it's generosity. And so we can become interested in that thinking. Tara was bringing one of the images from the, the Buddha that is very dear to me. Is the, the uh, you use the you said the banana, the banana tree trunk? Many of you know that image. Uh, and uh, the story goes, you know, in a mid-May spring day, somewhere at another time, there was somebody who wanted to build uh, a refuge, uh, a roof, and a you know, shelter. And so they thought, I need strong wood for my shelter to last. So they went in the forest around here, past the daffodil path in the forest. And they looked, looked around, and then they found this big banana tree. Big leaves, big flowers, big fruits, and they thought, that's it. 
here's my, there must be really solid wood in there to produce such big leaves. And with their axe, they start axing down the banana tree to find at its core nothing, just fiber, no, no hardwood, nothing substantial, nothing to build a shelter with. What could that analogy represent here this morning? The thinking process. <laughs> so we sit here and we look for shelter, you know, in the flood, you know, or some, something. Oh, I'm going to build a shelter or a raft using something really solid. My thought, I'm going to think about next week and the rest of my life, and then I'll find safety to find along the way that there was nothing to it, just fiber-like, recyclable, compostable matter. You know, nothing to really stand on or get cover under. Although, I still believe in it. I hear it. I love your story, Pascal. And let's get back to meditation because I have a few things I want to think about. <laughs> I want to consider. <laughs> It's great. I love your teaching and Buddha time. And now, shut up, because <laughs> I want to think about my stuff. <laughs> And so we have the chance today maybe to, ah, here's a place for joy, you know, to, what liberation, <laughs> you know, to actually recognize that the thought arises and passes. And there's a thought of self-loathing. Imagine the freedom if a thought of self-loathing, of harshness, comes by and it's recognized as such, just an appearance, a passing show, a mirage, a banana tree trunk, you know. And when I believe it's true, either I get uh, oppressed by it or I start to fight with it, it's not true, I'm worth something, stop saying this to me, you know. And when we see this empty, it's an empty arising, it's an empty, maybe unpleasant arising, scary arising, It's a phantom, a star at dawn. And so it needs some research to discover this for ourselves. It needs a different angle. Instead of being fascinated by, absorbed by, to actually start to question, what is a thought? Shall we do this a little bit? Okay, it's messy. Don't try to do this perfectly. It's not going to work anyway. It doesn't have to be done perfectly. None of it, I believe, has to be done perfectly. None of it. There's a good enough way that uh, is onward leading. Okay, so we ta without forcing, without abandoning, what a beautiful thought. What a beautiful, helpful thought. <laughs> Knowing you can always stand here, and if it's more helpful to keep the eyes open, them open, if it helps uh, presence, if it's helpful to close them gently, do that. Whatever feels right just now, and we can play with these things. And, uh, oh, here, first maybe uh, I'll guide a little something. Uh, And here's an exercise that uh, I've heard uh, our friend and colleague uh, Anushka 
Fernando Pulley do a few time few times that uh, I enjoy every time. So I invite you if you want to think of your um, your shoes or sandals, maybe outside <coughs> this room or in the in the vestibule, the cloth cloth room or whatever it's called. Think of your shoes. These are not your shoes. It's an image. It's a <coughs> mental event. So basic delusion, ignorance, is to mistake one for the other. And basic sanity is to have discernment, to know that one is a mental experience, And the other one, maybe a visual or tactile experience. All of them ephemeral. Let's uh, start with the first foundation now. Just noticing the environment or body. physical realm. Sensitivity of the, of the sense doors. I'm thinking of the five here, one of the five. Sensitivity at the ear door. Sensitivity at the eye door that is there now is also ephemeral. The sensitivity at any of these doors that I'll be mentioning here. Are intermittent and one day won't happen anymore. The hearing. The seeing even through uh, eyelids closed, There's maybe light coming through. And there's this uh, incredible sensitivity of the body we feel, the touch maybe of the ground, gravity, maybe the touch of clothing, or even air, so sensitive, even air pressing on the nostrils as the air comes in, maybe that is also felt, maybe not, maybe. The body feeling its own movement, the belly rising and falling, Sensory awareness, relationship with the physical, material world through 
sound vibrations, photons, sensations, tactile sensations. And as we sit here, body alive, sensitive, we might become aware of mood, mood or emotion or quality. It's the sensitivity too. mind, heart, psyche can become aware of the quietness maybe or agitation, frustration or slight curiosity present and very possible that at some point there could be a thought, some comment, something said or heard, or an image flashing by. Let's see if it's possible to catch the next thought. does it take? Is it visual or auditory or oral? What happens when we become aware presence or rising or passing of a thought. What happens between thoughts in the gap, what's experienced then?
Maybe some thoughts are lighter than others. Maybe some thoughts have more charge, if we can put it in this way, than others. We might, along the way, today or later, notice the relationship between moods, emotions and thoughts. Some, some moods don't have much to say. Quietness, typically, doesn't have a lot to say. But other mind states, agitation, sometimes has a lot to say wants to express itself through words, thoughts, cascade of images or words. And if you want, as a last exercise before we continue practicing in silence, let's play with thinking voluntarily to explore thought. If you want, think voluntarily, intentionally. Think, I am... And put your full name there, first name, family name. I am so-and-so. And I am meditating now. Think this a few times, just to feel how it feels. if it feels exact or reality or arbitrary or strange or whatever else. 
maybe in the way or part of meditation. Think this thought again a few times with leaving a gap between the words. If you want, think this thought again, letting go of the last part of the sentence, keeping just the I am, first name, family name. Keep the sentence, dropping the family name now. Drop the first name. Keep just the two first words if you want. Drop the verb. And drop even the first and only word now.
Just enough awareness to notice the arising of a thought, presence or absence of thoughts, passing of a thought, just enough awareness to notice the arising, the vanishing, the presence or the absence of a thought.
See if you can, uh, in action, deconstruct the next event, the bell ringing. See if you can experience the bell ringing as a physical experience of uh, vibration. And if you can discern between the physical experience of hearing and the meaning that is ascribed to the, to the bell. There's two things here happening. There's the bell and the meaning of the bell. gesture and the meaning of the gesture. Why for? What does it mean? I'm all confused. It's supposed to be three bell ringing. Why for? It's not the way we do it. There's a little time for questions about the practice. Maybe voices we haven't heard. It's good to hear voices from the community. There's not much of this here. Your pocket. So there's the pointing of the finger. <laughs> Does it mean if you have a question or you're pointing? <laughs> yes, I have a question. Um, well, it's more uh, a thinking. <laughs> and how, how it can apply to, uh, to my practice and, and people's practice. Um, I have this um, thought about conventional reality, uh, about the importance of knowing where you come from. Uh, about, and I know it's it's a little bit against what you've been talking about, uh, not being lost in stories and stuff like that. But um, it keeps coming to me that it's. It's so important to know where you come from at the same time, you know, and I'm thinking about uh, being in touch with what it is to, uh, to uh, have been a victim of trauma, for instance, and it, it can come back in meditation. And if, you are, if your answer is to say, oh, no, it's just thought and it's not worth paying attention to it, um, I think we may be um, uh, passed by something important mm-hmm. to say. Oh yes, you know it's it's it hurts, and um, having having um, 
thought about this and read about this, I know that when you um, when you get in touch with uh, a lot of knowledge uh, about people who lived with trauma and they feel more compassion uh, with it with themselves when they know where they come from and what they have, have been victim of uh, being you know neglect uh, racism or sexism or genocide whatever um, so I'm, do you understand what I mean I'm trying to to live with these two realities and I don't say that I don't I disagree with what you say because mm -hmm. I'm here and I've been practicing for years but now I'm trying to negotiate between okay uh, I understand it's a deconstruction I'm trying to do and I uh, and I think it's very uh, important and at the same time I'm thinking of people victim of trauma and, yeah. I, and I think it's I hear very you. important to to get in touch with with the history where where what happened you know like the, the book of Oprah Winfrey that she wrote with the neuropsychologist and the title is what happened to you mm. instead of what's wrong with you you know so spending time thinking and, and feeling uh, uh, about what happened to you for me is is an important part of of this work we're doing together and I don't know what to do with these two yes that's the big question what to do with these two <laughs> realities <laughs> and th so there's no a d there's not a denial of conventional maybe uh, it's an exploration that we do and often we're caught in one world and we haven't noticed that there's another view possible mm -hmm. and so that we're the, the job as I would talk about it just now spontaneously is that we're maybe bring some balance because we're like so, uh, we might be so clinging to, and we don't even know. And it's good that there's a retreat or some practices where we can open up to this is true. And also there's a larger view and the, the play is between the two, you know. Uh, and so uh, there's a few examples that flashed in my mind as you, as you were speaking. You know, they vanished, but yeah, it's the play of the two. We're not denying one, and uh, but we're trying to bring some space, some capacity to move from one to the other, and so that they can inform each other. You know, uh, you know. There's one saying you said that the, uh, my mind is is vast as the sky. My 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 yeah. My mind is vast as the sky, and my attention to detail is as refined as. Uh, Bar, uh, particles of barley flour. So it means I have a large view and I know the details maybe of what happened. I'll give you, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that flashed in my mind because it was very impressive to, uh, to me. So I was talking with a friend who, uh, and you might have heard this story from me, a good friend practitioner who had um, a suddenly a diagnosis and mostly a, a, a different experience of being in the body couldn't walk as much, or uh, you know, was uh, could hardly go one stair of, uh, of flight, uh, one flight of stairs. Had to stop in the middle to breathe, you know. And I was talking to this person, and I was saying, uh, you know, like how do you feel? Like, you know, you used to hike and do all these things, you know, and and now you can hardly do a few steps. And this person said to me, Pascal, these are thoughts. 
these are thoughts, the past. I learned to take care of the present. Now there's need to stop here. I stop here and I breathe. And, and then I do. And he said, we, you know, we've done this work of seeing through the thoughts. That was helpful for me to hear. You know, that there was, yes, there was a story. And also it was time not to take, you know, to take care of now. To take care of now. And so that's like one of the ways that I see this. And so it's a play of both. Uh, yeah, if there was just, uh, we were just in absolute reality, we wouldn't even know where to go sleep at night. You know, it would just be, <laughs> you know, so it's important. Jack Cordfield often would repeat on the retreat, would say, you know, remember your postal code. <laughs> you know, like, that's, you know, know, know your story, but don't get, you know. So if I'm too... Uh, am I, I'm going to try something experimental here. Uh, as I was reading the forms that you filled as you came, you know, the, in the first uh, part of the... So there's the name, the address, the age, the prof- profession, uh, and uh, the social kind of identity, uh, what, uh, what, uh, how you identify in terms of gender or in terms of uh, ethnicity or her- heritage. And, and I was reading this and I was... Was, there was the, for me, there was both there. I was reading this. I was like, we're so not this that I'm reading, and yet we're very much this. The two are true. Yes, I'm an HIV gay man, but also not. You know? And at different times, it plays in different ways. You know? And it's not the only thing I am, a gay man. You know? it's, it's one view that you can have, one thing that is at play. And it's important to not deny it, because it's what people send back to me, you know. It's how uh, I've been conditioned in some ways. Like, it plays a lot. Being white is not the only thing I am, but it certainly plays a lot in access to this or that, in, you know, in, uh, in the way I've been raised, uh, despite, uh, you know, unknowingly, I would say, you know, the beliefs. I, so being white plays a lot. It's not the only thing I am. Clearly, but it plays a lot. So I need to recognize this. As I need to recognize, oh, there's been trauma, there's been a story here of a lack of care or whatever, you know, and it plays here now. And this is not all I, I am, you know. There might be something else. That's how, how I present it now. But there's no, we're not saying that thoughts don't count. Here we're saying we might be too attached to, we might tend to cling to every thought. There might be some space that we can gain with the thinking process, some liberation possible. Yeah? Okay, thank you. I'm wondering if you have any guidance on how to note the thought which has risen has passed without re-engaging. Mm. So how to note uh, a thought. Well, there's something I didn't mention that uh, you might uh, think of or that might be good to name. is one of the ways also to practice with thought. It was not part of uh, the instructions or the guidance this morning, but 
one of the ways to investigate or work with thought is to, when there's a thinking process, we discover, oh my God, I've been thinking, uh, to label it in, like, what kind of theme? Is it past thinking or future forward thinking? Or is it rehashing or planning? Or is it uh, fantasizing? So just a general label and, uh, and returning to, you know, uh, one of the f- senses could be one thing. And we'll notice that some thoughts have more charge to them. Although we might note that there's thinking and kind of drop it, it'll come back right away. There's a hook, you know. And so that's something to, to study too, to become aware, wow, there's a big hook here. So to me, that would be a mental note, like, wow, very charged. Very charged. I'm not done with this one. You know? It really wants to say what it has to say, you know. Uh, and put it down. And it picks up. Put down, put down. Sometimes, one of the ways is to think, I don't want to think of, but uh, more like investigate in the Buddhist Dharma language here, means go to see, go to feel, feel, feel. What is driving this underneath? Like, what's the emotion that is saying stuff? Ah, frustration. So tap into the, it's hard, what words to use, I don't know here, but energical level? You know, or mood, tonality, or ambiance. You know, there may be this fear. So I'm thinking a lot. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? There's a meeting in a few minutes. What's underneath all these words? You know, I might be able to feel the tightness and the troth, or the something that is fear. You know, uh, and so that could be that. What comes to mind? I wonder if Tara, if there's anything you want to share on these. Uh, questions that are raised. Um, yeah, to me, I'll tell you one, one way that I worked with, uh, with, with, with some of this. When I think obsessively, and I notice that it just keeps coming back, coming back, there's a few questions that are often helpful for me. I don't want to think about it, but I can ask a question that is answered by silence, by presence. And so to me, when I think obsessively, some, often it's one of these few things. It's either there's uncertainty, and my mind is resisting uncertainty, so it wants to know, so it's trying to figure out you know, what's going to happen, what it means, etc. So, so sometimes I'll say, oh, is there some uncertainty here? And sometimes i yeah, there is. There is. That's why I'm thinking so much, because there's uncertainty. And then I say, can I be okay just for now? Equanimity. Can I be okay just for now with uncertainty? Ah, no. Okay. Just a moment. You know, not trying to resolve, not trying, you know. Is there um, a sense of uh, lack of power? Powerlessness. You know, if I feel powerlessness, I'm, I'm going to get upset. You know? So if, oh, there's a sense of a lack of power here. Can I feel this? It's a human experience. Uncertainty, so much part of the human experience. Not, you know, not having control, lack of control, let's put it this way. I don't have control here. You don't have control, Pascal, here? There's a lack of control here. Yes, there is. Can we just feel this? Get acquainted with this. It's inviting some kind of courage, spirit of exploration. Oh, that's so human. It's going to happen again. Let's, not try to avoid it by overthinking, but meet it for a few moments. 
Or is there some grief, something I'm losing here that's lost that I want to regain with my thinking process? You know? uh, can I feel this? Something has vanished or is broken. It's not how I wanted it to be. So this is much more tender, vulnerable, but often it helps me get less upset about stuff by recognizing. And, and when I say uh, powerlessness, I, uh, I remember naming this one time at, uh, with um, uh, Patricia Rockman, who's one of the teachers uh, here. And I remember P- Patricia, she went like, <laughs> she was sitting like, just there, and she went like, I have something to say. <laughs> and it was good. What she said was really informative for me, a really, really good uh, way to... Pre- and she said, it's not powerlessness, because we have an agency inside. You know, there's the way we're going to actually meet, what is that? There's a playroom. And that's what the practice is here about, this learning how to accompany, how to meet. And so I might not have the power to interfere or to change the course of something, but there is some power that I'll discover on the path of how I'm going to meet this, how I'm going to hold this. And it's not just like uh, free will. Okay, let me meet this with equanimity. You know, this is practice here. We're, we're searching. What's the other way to hold this? We're trying to discover what's our agency here, how I can hold this. You know, okay, I can be in resentment. I can be in resentment. There might be another way. Let me try, you know, let me try to find another way to hold this than just hating. It's not easy, but possible. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm aware of time. There is, um, so there is, what could we do? Let me check. Yeah, what a great idea, walking. And so today is a beautiful day to practice. Even if you want to take your stuff, cushion, chair, and, and walk outside and then sit somewhere, practice like the Buddha did. If it's supportive to you, come back in the hall. There'll be the bell, we'll be here. Uh, but if it's something you want to play with, more intuitive or closer to the elements, uh, trial and error, we can, we can play with this. Uh, and say, so I'm going to walk there and sit just there in my little space, even further away, knowing that the whole community is practicing. And for some of us, it'll be with the sit-walk inside-outside. For some of us, it'll take a, another form. But the whole of us, for the block of the morning here, we're committed to this exploration. And even if we don't see each other, I might be further away, I don't see anybody, but we're supporting each other. I know that. We're all doing this, so it gives me the energy to do it also. Okay? Thank you so much.